turn first of all to the book of Ecclesiastes and then to the book of Job. I'm going to take just a few verses right there and I'm going to take two words out of each of those scripture references. And that's where the title of the message comes from. You'll see it when you get there. And then I'm happy today because I'm going to talk about the Lord. I'm going to talk about God. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment, all right? From Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13, consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. And then from the 37th chapter of the book of Job, hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. How often do you, how often do we think about God? Well, preacher, I pray before I eat and I pray before I go to sleep at night and then I'm in church on Sunday and I, I, I pray sometimes when I get up if I think about it. So a, a couple of times a day I, I think about God a little bit, right? Well, let me rephrase my question. How often do we think deeply about God? What do I mean by that? Think deeply about God. Well, I'm talking about regularly considering the greatness of our God. As I've put together this message, just the greatness of God, the vastness of God, and the power of God just sort of overwhelms me. God's power, God's knowledge, God's wisdom. How often do we dwell on that so that when we come here, we're really ready to worship God? I'm convinced that we as human beings, and I don't think we're able to grasp all of it, but I'm convinced that we as human beings don't really grasp the character and the power of the God we serve, folks. We're sort of like the Samaritans that are talked about in the fourth chapter of John. Remember, Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman and she said, you Jews say Jerusalem's a place to worship and we Samaritans worship here in this mountain. But Jesus said to her, ye worship, you know not what. And sometimes I'm afraid it's possible that we as God's people would go through the motions of worshiping we know not what. Amen. Without really considering who we worship and what it is that we are doing. That word know has the idea of perception. Get a perception of God. Get an understanding, as much of an understanding of God as we can get. We cannot, with our finite minds, fully perceive an infinite God. Amen. We can't perceive, and we're going to talk about his eternal nature in a moment, but we can't perceive the eternal nature of God. And I'm afraid that to so many people today, even people who know Jesus Christ as Savior, church is just that to them. Church. It's where I go on Sunday. Okay? It's a building. It's a sense of duty. It's an expectation. You know, the children think their parents expect them to go to church and the husbands think, I hope this is not the case, that their wives expect them to go to church and so forth and so on. 
And it many times is such a habit to be sitting in a pew in a building on a Sunday morning. You know, habits, you can do habits. I have several habits. I used to name them while I was preaching and, and things that I do when I'm preaching. I used to talk about that, but then people started watching me to see if I did that. So I don't name those habits anymore. But a habit is something you can do without thinking about it. And many times I think that's what church is. It's just a habit sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. And some, certainly not Baptists, have been convinced that if they don't show up for church on Sunday morning, they're going to lose their salvation and die and go to hell. Now, you know why I think Baptists haven't been, ever been taught that? And we haven't, but you know why? Because the Baptist folk just miss church for any reason on a Sunday morning many times. I've been around us a long time. But we come into a service that is designed and designated for the worship of God. And in that kind of service, all thoughts of any needs of self, all thoughts of what we want ought to be set aside. We are coming before the creator of the universe. Right now, we're before him. Do you realize that God is watching this service? Amen. Angels are watching this service according to scripture. You know why they're watching? They want to learn about God. Angels don't know everything. Angels are created beings. And so the scripture says they observe us and the way we serve and worship God. And they learn about God. And so just think, God's watching. Jesus is here because he said, where two or three are gathered in my name by my authority, there am I in the midst of them. And the Holy Spirit is here because I, I know he is. I've brought him in with me and hopefully you brought him in with you, okay? Amen. The triune God is present this morning in this service. But let's get back to the original question. How often do we deeply think about and consider God. I wrote an article several years ago, and I'm not going to bore you with all of it. I'm going to share a part of it with you. And it begins this way. It's called God consciousness. I have recently begun to wonder if the average church member in America lives with a daily consciousness of God. It seems as you speak to people today about their plans, the hopes, their desires that God has seldom mentioned. God's word tells us in James 4.15, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. I believe the same degree of dependence upon God is included in the Lord's model prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Sadly, people today, including God's people, make their plans and seem determined to stick to them. But plans change, don't they? And they can change in a moment. That article continues. It seems most people and many of them, God's people get up in the mornings and go about their day as usual without even once thanking God for another day, another breath, another chance to be with those that we love. Have we become so busy with living that we find little time for God? In the 96th Psalm, the 8th verse, the scripture says what? Give unto the Lord the glory that's due his name. And every time we have this verse, every time I mention this verse, what's the question I ask? How much glory is that? And you answer all glory, just like you did just now. Well, how much is all glory, right? All of it. 
Every ounce of glory that we have. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said, "Thou shalt." this is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And there's that word all again. When it comes to worshiping God and when it comes to glorifying God, folks, we need to just give it all. Amen. I told you last Sunday night, last Sunday morning after the message when I had to walk back in the building, I said, Lord, I gave you my five. Talking about five talents. Folks, I try to do that every time I get up to present the word of God, to give God everything. That means, all means giving my time, giving my treasure, that's money, by the way. That's just a nice word for it. Give me my time, our treasures, and give him every bit of our talent because God deserves every bit of it, every inch, every ounce, every fiber of our being. Amen. God deserves Psalm 96, 9, which is the next verse, says that we're to worship him, how? In the beauty of holiness. Holiness talks about separation. It talks about sanctification. That means we shouldn't employ worldly methods to try to enhance the worship of God, okay? God gave us voices to sing. God allowed us to have these instruments that we can play. There's nothing wrong with having instruments, by the way, for some of my friends that I know that aren't here right now. But there's nothing wrong with having the instruments. I can't help where the world uses them, but we can use them to the glory of God, and we do, folks. And it ought to be used to the glory of God. If the person, the power, and the presence of God and the proclamation of the word of God are not enough to produce praise among God's people, folks. We've got a problem. But again, I ask on a daily basis, how often do we deeply consider God? It is important that we give him all glory. But folks, not just while we're here what to give all God all glory in our daily lives. Amen. I fear it's possible that we know all of the terms about God. What do you mean the terms about God? You know, all those seminary terms. I mean, they're good terms. There's nothing wrong with talking about God's omniscience and his omnipotence and his omnipresence. But a lot of people don't even get what that's talking about. We're going to deal with some of that in the message this morning. I fear it's possible we may know all of the terminology that relates to God's character and to our worship of Him, but how does that knowledge affect us? How should that knowledge affect us? I only have two points to this message. We're going to have a whole lot of scripture in the first point, and we're going to get a whole lot of facts in the second point, and then we're going to try to wrap everything up. First of all, God is awesome in his person. He is eternal. His nature, just his nature, folks, his eternal nature is beyond our comprehension. Everything that we know has a beginning and has an ending. There was a time this building wasn't here. There will be a time when this building is not here. There was a time when you were not here and there will be a time when you are not here or me or anyone else. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. What's everlasting to everlasting? You just go as far back as you can and then just keep on going. 
has it in the future. You just go as far forward as you can go and keep on going. That's everlasting to everlasting. And there are people who say, well, I can't comprehend that, so I won't believe that. I told the Sunday school class, y'all pardon me for repeating this class, but I told the Sunday school class I read, and there was something I had on Facebook, and it came up as a memory, and I shared it again. But there was this professor, and he said there's only two truly scientific methods that you can determine that the world began, either spontaneous generation or by a creator. And he said Louis Pasteur ruled out spontaneous generation years ago. You know, the guy that did pasteurization and all of that, that's Louis Pasteur. He proved that there was no such thing as spontaneous generation. He said that leaves only one way of the universe beginning, and that is by a creator. He said, but since I'm a scientist and I refuse to believe in a creator, I will accept something that is not scientifically sound and believe it instead of believing in God. And there's a lot of people like that in this world. I can't believe in God. I don't know. I can't understand this being eternal and everything, not having a beginning and not having an ending. So you know what they're going to believe? They're going to believe some gases got together and out of space exploded and all of this happened. And I always like to ask this, well, where did those gases come from? You can't get nothing from nothing. And so gases just didn't appear and blow up. No, what the one thing that the Big Bang Theory does prove is that the creation of this world was instantaneous. It was sudden. And we know that God spoke and this earth was formed, this galaxy, this creation was formed. God's eternal nature awes us. But not only is he eternal, he's exalted. And I don't have time that I would like to have for this one. I'm just going to share some of the names of God because the names of God given in the word of God tell us something about the awe of his person. He's called El Shaddai, the almighty God, nourisher, sustainer, the succorer of his people. He lifts us up. He sustains us. He's called Jehovah Jireh. You remember where that came from. Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac and God stayed his hand and supplied a ram in the place of Isaac. Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. That's what it means. And there are so many other names. And we just don't have time, as I said in this message, to talk about them. The Most High God, Isaiah 9, 6, Mighty God. Psalm 29, verse 3, the God of glory. Joshua 24, 19, Holy God. Psalm 4, verse 1, the God of righteousness. I mean, just over and over again, we're giving these glimpses into the nature and the character of God. And in fact, over 80 compound names are descriptive titles talk about God. And he's first presented to us in Genesis 1-1 as Elohim. Some people say Elohim. I was taught Elohim. Three strong ones. Plural in the Hebrew, which is three or more. Three strong ones, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's one other aspect. Well, there's many others, but there's one other I'm going to name this morning of God's character and God's nature that just leaves me in awe. And it's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Amen. That's a reciprocal statement. If I will walk in the light, as I know to walk in the light, because I'm a child of God and God's word lays out how I'm to walk. If I will walk in the light as God is in the light, the scripture says in him, there's not even a speck of darkness. If I walk in the light as God is in the light, folks, 
I can fellowship with God. But here's the fantastic thing. The creator of the universe, this everlasting God, this almighty God wants to reciprocate and fellowship with me. You've heard me say this, but I hadn't even had a call from so much as the mayor inviting me to his house and fellowship together. But the God of heaven, don't you get it? It excites me. Other, I, said, I tell that to people and they just go at me like, okay, yeah, I understand that. That excites me. The, woo, yeah. the God of heaven, the creator wants my fellowship. That ought to do something to you if it doesn't your woods wet, okay? And he's ever present. That's the word omnipresent, by the way, okay? It talks about God being everywhere at the same time. You say, I can't understand that. Well, I can't either. But folks, I believe it because God's word says it. We in the flesh are limited by time and space. I can be here one second and I can be here the next, but I can't be there while I'm here, okay? But God can be everywhere. And God sees everything. Listen to what David had to say about God's omnipresence in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, or, or Sheol, or the grave, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You're everywhere, God. I cannot go anywhere that you are not there. Years ago, and this is how important, this is for Sunday school teachers, this is how important Sunday school classes are. Years ago, I was 10, probably 10 years old, had a Sunday school teacher that told us a little story about a boy who wanted to steal a watermelon off a boxcar. And he said he went out there to steal it and he looked to his left and didn't see anybody, he looked to his right, didn't see anybody, he looked before him, didn't see anybody, he looked behind him, didn't see anybody, and he stole the watermelon. And Brother Hall said he forgot to look up. There may have been no human present, but God saw what he did. And again, David's just saying, I can't go anywhere, you know, without finding you there. But not only is he omnipresent, God is omniscient. Because of his omnipresence, there's nothing that we can hide from God. Even our thoughts, can you think about that? Even our thoughts that we have, sometimes... They may be angry thoughts and sometimes they may be bitter thoughts or they may be some other kind of thoughts. Even our thoughts are not hidden from God. In fact, if you go over to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews and it talks about the word of God being quick and sharper than any two-edged sword, it says dividing asunder to the intents of the, of the mind and the spirit and body. You know, God's word will determine or will show us our motives and God already knows our motives. Psalm 139, verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. <laughs> I like that. I'll just get out here in the dark. Nobody will see me. God will see you. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. We know darkness and light. God sees it all. There is no darkness to God. No molecule, no atomic particle is so small that God is not aware of it. Think about that. And there is no galaxy that is so vast 
that God does not encompass it. God knows everything about us. Absolutely everything. You know, we know because we've heard, you know, every time somebody runs for, especially for president, they always dig back into their past and pull all their skeletons out of their closet and that sort of thing. So probably everybody's got some things they're not so proud of. We keep them hidden. God knows them. First John chapter 3, verse 24, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. God knows everything. Not just about me, not just about you. God knows everything. You ever run into one of those people that's a know-it-all? They think they know everything, and if you don't believe it, they'll try to show you. Well, they don't know anything. God knows everything. Listen to Matthew 10, verse 29 and 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? Whatever amount of money that was. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. So when a sparrow falls, God knows it. How many sparrows are there? They're not as many now as there once were, but there used to be sparrows all over the place. And you go to Israel and there's sparrows all over the place. And he says, not one sparrow can fall to the ground without God knowing about it. One man put it this way, God attends this funeral of every sparrow. And then he says this, verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now I realize that's easier on some people than it is on others. But the very hairs of our head, God knows how many hairs I have on my head. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 139 verse 4, for there is not a word in my tongue. Listen to this one. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Whatever comes out of my mouth. And in fact, if you read Matthew 12, Jesus said that every idle word that we speak is going to be brought into judgment. Everything that comes out of our mouths, the psalmist is saying God knows. Isaiah 46 verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I'm God and there's none else. I'm God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. You know what God's saying there? He's saying I know everything. I know what's happened and I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know what's going to happen 10 years from now. I know what's going to happen 100 years from now. I don't know if this earth will be around in 10 years or 100 years or even 10 minutes. But God says, I know what's going to happen. Why? Because he's God. Because he is eternal. Because it is all one eternal present tense with God. And he says, I know these things. 17th century French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal said this. His, talking about God, his center is everywhere and his circumference is nowhere. You get what he's saying? He's in the middle of everything, but he has no boundaries. You can't limit God. You know, somebody will say, well, you know, I'm just too bad a person to be saved. No, you're limiting God. And in fact, I can prove that nobody today is too bad to be saved. How do you know that, Brother Jim? Because the chief of sinners already been saved. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I persecuted the Lord's churches. I am the chief of sinners. So if the chief of sinners, the worst sinner ever, has been saved, every other sinner can be saved. Amen. Nobody's too bad. Just have to get a little bit humble, get a whole lot humble for some folks, and turn to God in repentance, and by faith apply the shed blood of Jesus Christ.
And last but not least, and this is part two, this is point two. He is awesome in his power. That's declared in the word of God. God is omnipotent. And that's just a fancy word, omni, okay, means all. And the omnipotent part or the potent part is power. God is all powerful. You can't limit the power of God. See, if God is infinite and if God is eternal and if God is sovereign, he must have power over everything in all ways. So God is all powerful. According to the evolutionists, it required millions, even billions of years for creation to evolve to its present state. And isn't it interesting that it hadn't changed that much in the last 6,000 years? Amen. Oh, it took millions of years to get where we are. Well, I hadn't seen any changes in the last 6,000 years. These great minds won't believe the Bible and believe what the Bible says about God, but they're still searching around in outer space for aliens and spaceships flying around. See? That's how foolish man is. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and read verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And you keep reading and you read things like the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning were the third day. All the way through the six days that it took a creation. And these were six regular 24-hour days. How could God create universe? I'm not just talking about earth now. The universe. How could God create the universe in six 24-hour days? i tell you how. By his awesome power. God spoke it. And it happened. Let there be light. And there was light. In fact, Psalm 33, 6, here's what the psalmist says about it. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. There's light. The seas and dry land are separated. There's grass. There's cattle. Animals. I, I don't have, obviously I'm not following all of the way it's laid out in Genesis, but you get the idea. God spoke. The breath of his mouth. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1, 6, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. We've talked about that recently, that God just lifted up some of the waters on this earth and put what we call the sky, the firmament, in between the waters lifted up and the waters on the earth. And when he got ready to flood the earth in Noah's day, he opened the windows of heaven. Couldn't flood the earth with 24 hours of just rain. No, the fountains of the deep were broken up. The rain came down and the windows of heaven were opened. Genesis 1, 7 through 9, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. It was so, and God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. He created it. Job 38, verse 8. Or who shut up? I love this. I love this. And, and we're going to read from Jeremiah too because Jeremiah said something similar. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and break for it my decreed place, 
and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shall thou come, but no farther, and here shall thy proud ways be stayed. You know what he's saying? God said to the oceans, to the seas, you can go this far and not any farther. Here's the way God said it in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5.22, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord? Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it? Now think about sand. How big is sand? How important is sand? Sand's real important. That it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. God said, sure, I made the seas, but I set the sand on the beaches, on the seashores, and told the sea, you can't go past that. And you know what? It doesn't. Amen. Folks, I have stood and looked out across the Pacific, and I have stood and I've looked out across the Atlantic, and I've stood and I've looked out across the Gulf of Mexico and I have watched the waves bow to their creator when they came ashore and said, we won't go any farther because you said we can't go any farther. And then Daniel 2.21, he changeth the times and the seasons. By the way, if you read the scripture, he said, and, and we're going to read this in just a moment. We're going to take the time to do that. He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings, setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. And then here's another one. God told Jeremiah the Chaldeans are coming to take people prisoner. And then you know what he said? Buy you some land. So when they return, you've got land here in the nation. See, God knew even though the Chaldeans were coming, going to take them prisoner, God knew that they would be coming back. And so Jeremiah says in verse 17 of Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for me. And then God answers in verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the answer is absolutely not. Amen. Psalm 104. I was reading this psalm the other night and I said, I've just got to, with this message, I've just got to share parts of it. I don't know how much I'm going to read, but you bear with me. Psalm 104, let's just start with verse 4. Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire? Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over it. I just talked about that. That they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench the thirst. You know what he said? Why do there springs in the valleys? Because the animals need water and they need to go. They can't all go to the, to the lake or all to the ocean to drink. And so God provided them springs in the valleys. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. It gave a place for birds to nest. He watereth hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth. <laughs> he feeds the cattle. 
So we can have steak, okay? <laughs> well, he gives us herbs to eat with that, you know. And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats. And the rocks for the conies. He appointed, get this one, he appointed the moon for seasons. You know, we live by a solar calendar. What did God do? He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. They know not to come out in the daytime. They creep forth, it says, in the night. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth. They gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. The psalmist is praising God for his creation. He's got it all in order. There is no disorder to God's creation. The only disorder is man who refuses to follow God's order, okay? Amen. You just watch the animals and you see the order that God has for creation. And it's demonstrated. God's creative power and ability is seen in the creation. Now I'm going to give you some facts and we're going to wrap it up. Consider the stars. On a clear night with a naked eye, you can see about 5,000 stars. Now, I've never counted. This is just what I've read, okay? I've never gone out and said, one, two, three. Oh, wait a minute. We, you know, I lost count. No. But they say with a naked eye, you can see about 5,000 stars on any clear night. Using a small, inexpensive telescope, you can see about 2 million stars. There are approximately 200 million stars just in the Milky Way in our galaxy. We're talking about, you say, why are you giving me all this? Because we're talking about the creative power of God. Using the Hale Telescope at Palomar Observatory in San Diego County, California, you can see billions of galaxies. Galaxies, okay? Not just stars, billions of galaxies you can see through the Hale Telescope. The nearest star to earth is four and one half light years away. You know what a light year is? It is traveling at the speed of light for a year. What's the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. Okay, that's fast. All right. I'm going to give you more on that in just a moment. Our sun is 335,000 times bigger than the earth. It is estimated that you could fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. And you know what our sun is called? A dwarf star. Our sun's small compared to other stars in the universe. In fact, there's one called Betelgeuse. It's a red supergiant star, the largest one that's visible to the naked eye. It's usually the 10th brightest star in the nighttime sky. Approximately, I don't know how they, Jonah said, how do they measure these things? I don't know, you know, I didn't read that. But approximately one quadrillion Earths would fit inside Betelgeuse. That's one star. Now, let's talk about galaxies. 
The Andromeda galaxy is the closest major galaxy to the Milky Way, to our, our galaxy. Now I said light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's 670 million miles per hour. Okay, that's fast. You can probably speed and not get caught by the police if you're going that fast. You know? <laughs> or approximately 5.88 trillion miles in one year. Is this boggling your mind? Because I'm not used to terms like billions and millions and quadrillions and trillions. My mind just doesn't, doesn't compute that. 5.88 trillion miles per year. One light year is the distance, again, light will travel in a year at current propulsion speeds. It would take 4,000 Earth years for every one light year are about 10 billion years, give or take a few years, to travel to the Andromeda galaxy, which is in what is referred to as our local group of galaxies. Hey folks, it's in our neighborhood. <laughs> That's what it's saying. Now, I posted this on Facebook the other day. It takes seven and a half million pounds of thrust to lift a rocket off from the earth. That's the gravitational pull of this earth. That's how powerful it is. Who created the earth? God did. One solar flare, and that's just a bubble bursting on the surface of the sun. One solar flare has more power than 100 million hydrogen bombs. Where did all of that come from? Folks, it came from God. Amen. That's the great power of our God. And people say, oh, it's too hard for me. God can't help me. Don't you underrate God. Amen. Don't sell God short. And now that I've impressed you with all of that information, I'm going to say this. The greatest example of the power of God is revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. That'll make you go, woo! <laughs> Jesus came and he lived on this earth and he was crucified and he was buried, but he came out of the tomb. He walked among men and he ascended back into heaven and we have the promise from the word of God that he's coming back. Amen. Now I'm going to tell you what I think is the second greatest example of the power of God. He can take a sinner, just any old sinner, okay? And if that sinner will turn to him in repentance and by faith, apply the blood of Jesus Christ and be saved, God can clean him up and make him acceptable and make him usable to himself. Amen. He'll make something useful out of him if that sinner will just trust the Lord Jesus. I believe if we're not careful, we make God all too small in our lives, folks. He deserves us thinking about him on a daily basis and thinking deeply. We serve a God who is big enough to create all of the, all of the galaxies. I heard somewhere that we don't know, we can't count, but there's approximately 250 billion galaxies in the universe. And the universe is, it does not just go on and on and on. There's a, there's a point at which it stops. God created it that way. And we have all of these galaxies and he's a God big enough to create and control all of that. And he's close enough to me and to you that he can handle even the smallest problem that we face on a daily basis. 
You talk about a God. <laughs> he is God. Amen. And he cares enough to want to see every person come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Listen, if somebody is here and you're lost this morning, if you're watching my live stream and you're lost or you're going to watch the video later on on Facebook and you're lost, listen, God cares for you. God wants you to be saved. You're not too bad to be saved. Jesus died for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Second uh, Peter 3, God's not willing that any should perish. That's his heart desire. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And for those of us who are saved, the beauty of it all is this. Even if we get away from him, folks, he's there with open arms warning us to come back. Isaiah 30, verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment Blessed are all they that wait for him. You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the disaster of our choices to teach us the foolishness of those choices. So we turn back to him. As I said, he's waiting on the lost to turn to him in repentance and faith. And he's waiting on those of us who are saved to do just what he says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, that's not talking about all of America. Some folks like to apply it that way. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about saved people. He's talking about his people. He was addressing it to Israel, who were his people, which we're his people because we trusted Christ. We're not Israel, but we're God's children. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Folks, God's just waiting, waiting, waiting. He wants us to get right with him because what did David say when he talked about getting the joy of the Lord back in his life? He says, then Sinners will be converted. I think one of the reasons we're not seeing a lot of folks saved today is so many of God's people are just like the world and they see no difference. Right. When God's people begin to look like God's people, then the world will say, hey, maybe we're wrong. and Maybe they're right. Let's not wait until we're taken out and they're left behind to endure the great tribulation upon this earth to see them convinced that there's a God in heaven, let's show them on a daily basis. And in fact, let's consider God ourselves on a daily basis.